Hey everybody, it's Hit Rewind, the mixtape version. What's that, you're gonna ask? First off, you're probably wondering what the fuck Hit Rewind is. Uh, Hit Rewind is the rebirth, like a phoenix rising out of the ashes of our old podcasts. Because I had too many going, I was too all over the place, and I decided to just swoosh it into one big podcast. Uh, we talk about pop culture, and uh, basically the plan is to start off with 1980. We'll discuss pop culture moments of 1980, and then we'll work our way through the decades. Now, the mixtape is a special edition where we discuss albums from that particular year, which, of course, like you just said, is 1980. And uh, John is on the other side here, and uh, we worked out, like, we pick a year, we both pick five albums each, and then discuss why we chose them. And, uh, and then we're going to build a playlist on Spotify? Yeah, definitely. That's that's the plan, at least. Yeah, so we pick one song that we really think locks down why we love that album, and uh, we put it on uh, on a playlist on Spotify. Yeah, it's been a while since I've really sat down and talked music with anybody, so I can't wait. All right, so let's start the game. Um, so basically, we went through every album that came out in 1980 and chose five apiece, and uh, it was Torture. Um, I, well, it sounded like torture. Then I actually sat down and listened to some of the albums I, I assumed that I liked. Uh, here's the thing. I wasn't old enough, really, to enjoy a lot of the 80s. I didn't really start buying albums until the very end of the 80s. So most of what I heard were usually greatest hits collections. So I say I'm a huge fan of this artist, and I have to go back and actually listen to the whole album. And very few people did I actually do that with. Is this the thing that you experienced first was greatest hits? Or a mixed version? Pretty much. And, and then go back later and, and find the album? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, groups that I, I liked or I thought I liked. And then you go back and revisit some of the discographies and you start going, yeah, I like the hits. And that's about it. Yeah, it's... Uh, all right. Well, um, so I'm going to start off with someone you're not going to expect out of me because... This is an era of rock and roll that I kind of missed out on. I didn't start listening to hard rock until uh, the late 80s. And it was mostly what my parents listened to, New Wave. And uh, kind of, you know, yacht rock. Lots of yacht rock. Um, which I think most of our parents were probably yacht rockers. <laughs> oh, no, no. Mine were all uh, 60s folk rock fans. Oh, okay. Yeah, my my, uh, my parents... Oh, God. Okay, I will say this. We listen to a lot of Chicago. Um <laughs> Uh, so for me, the first selection is Alice Cooper, Flush the Fashion. And oh, this, yeah, this is an album that I was thinking about talking about too, because yeah. it's such an interesting mix of stuff. If, and like the start of his, uh, his drug phase, well, one of his many drug phases where he doesn't actually remember making the album. Yeah, it's terrible. This is... Now, most people think of Alice Cooper in two different schools. You think of the early 70s when he was a real hard rocker, and then when he had his rebirth in 86 as a hair metal guy. But you forget that besides those two huge hits, Schools Out and uh, 18, a lot of his songs were more... Uh, I want to say, like, more carnival. I don't, know, I don't know how to say it. The way he designs his albums, it feels like a funhouse. Some are creepy, some are weird, some are crazy, some are wild... And then some have a weird somberness to them, like Only Women Bleed is a very somber song. Um, so this really isn't that strange if you know his uh, discography. Uh, but this is where he started messing with New Wave. 
And uh, Clones is the one that I discovered at the very end of one of those cheap $10, you know, you find it at Walmart, uh, collections. And it has everything before he started doing... Um, oh, I feel like he switched uh, record labels around 89 or 90, and it stops there. Like, Poison, I think, is the last one on that album. Yeah, po- yeah Poison's definitely, like, one of the last kind of glammy type uh, type things before then he kind of kind of focused a little bit more on the harder harder rock and kind of eked into metal a bit. Yeah. But, uh, like, yeah, this is definitely new, uh, definitely new wavy because, like, Clones, the first time I actually heard this song was by a cover by an industrial band called Bile. Really? And, and it's, it, like, their cover is actually pretty, pretty close to how this album cut is. I mean, granted, they're much heavier, heavier guitars, heavier electronics, but the, they didn't like try and reinvent the song or anything. They did it pretty straight, which is which is really appreciative. Once I heard this cut, yeah, it's uh, it feels almost Gary Newmanish because uh, you know he, European new wave is different than American new wave, and um, that really caught my attention. And I was like, I've never heard this song before. And then I went and found the album. This one and the next one are I really enjoy. But what's the one? What's the third one of his drug run? Uh, was it like Daddy or oh. something like that? It's fucking terrible. Dada, I think. Dada, it was. yeah, that, that's where he fell apart. But yeah, he was uh, drinking way too much. I think this is when he started doing heroin, right? Around that, yeah. It's like he had he had gotten out of an asylum uh, for for addiction issues, and then kind of went right back into addiction issues. Oh, that's terrible. Or to having addiction issues, I should say. Yeah, but that's my choice. I, I really enjoy Flesh of the Fashion because he's more experimental, but at the same time, every song is pretty much uh, radio-friendly, I would say. It, they're all singles. It's like, yeah, Talk Talk and Pain are definitely like his old glam stuff, and they're really good. I I love Aspirin Damage. I think that's a great track. Uh, same thing with Nuclear Infected. Oh, yeah, that's a good one, yeah. Well, and also Clones. Yeah. And uh, that one is unique, though, because I don't think any of the other songs really sound like the European New Wave. You're right, they, they bounce around genres a little bit, but you can see the influence now of that next generation of music just coming around the corner. And some musicians are able to change their style and compete, uh, and then some, it just doesn't work. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Is like he, I, He's definitely he found his groove kind of after these albums and obviously prior to them where it's just he knew where he would you know kind of what he was doing with the theatrics then kind of got lost in this experimental phase and then you know kind of refound himself kind of leaving the glimpse of behind and becoming a little bit more of a metal yeah a metal icon all right so that's my first choice what is your first choice my first choice is going to be Black Sabbath's Heaven and Hell. Yeah, see, now if you had chose this one, I would have chosen it. So it's funny how we, we traded off. <laughs> yeah, and, and part of me goes, you know, do I think this album is underserved? Not at the time. It was very well received, especially considering the previous two Sabbath albums were complete and total garbage. Yeah. And yeah. once uh, once they got rid of Ditched Ozzy and kind of didn't want to be quote-unquote experimental they found dio and ended up bringing you know two albums in a row that are like some of the nice most bluesiest uh hard rock ever 
Yeah, it's um, I, I I prefer you and I talked about this before. Uh, recording is I prefer Dio over Ozzy. Ozzy really only had those first couple albums, and then it just started wandering off. And Black Sabbath has that that curse though, because once Dio left, they started just they were lost again for another decade until Dio came back. Yeah, like like two or three vocalists in between. None of the albums are really that good. Then Dehumanizer, yeah, pops up in '92, and I also think is kind of an underrated album. But at least with these two, I, when I think about it, it's you go name me three Black Sabbath singles. You know, you know, send me any 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 three Black Sabbath songs. It'll never be anything off Heaven and Hell or Mob Rules. Yeah, because well, here's the thing: is like I think the first couple. I think a lot of people when they when they think of Neon Knights, they think, "Oh, that's a Dio song," but it's not. And Mob Rules, I don't know how that song has just been forgotten. That has been cast off, even though it's um, in uh, heavy metal. And right, it's in heavy metal. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, yeah. And but I feel like this era is kind of pushed aside. And when people think of Black Sabbath, they only think of the very early run with Ozzy. And what's kind of funny is the singles off this album, it's Neon Knights, which makes 100% sense. Neon Knights is a, is a kick-ass track. But then Die Young, which is a good song, but I wouldn't have picked it as a single. I would have, you know, Heaven and Hell, definitely, 100%. Or even just like Lady Evil or Children of the Sea. Right. You know? Well, I think Children of the Sea Much... was a single, wasn't it? Am I wrong? Not uh, at least not in what I could see. It might maybe it was a B side on a single, but but it's an album cut anyway. Yeah, Children of the Sea is um, one of my favorites because when it comes to metal, I really like the storytelling. Um, and Children of the Sea finds a way of almost becoming a hard rock, uh, almost like a minstrel song, like you know the kind you would hear when they really talk about like. Uh, you know, olden times, they're trying to tell a story. That, those are called minstrels, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. again, this is this really falls into the uh, the deal line of fantasy stuff. You know, stuff they was doing an elf, and then and then a rainbow. You know, it's it's very much in Dio's wheelhouse. Yeah, and I think he was much stronger on building a song than Ozzy ever was. I always feel like Ozzy, and I could be wrong. I just feel like Ozzy had other people building his songs for him. Well, that's the kind of thing. Is Ozzy really wasn't much of a vocalist? Like, uh, I, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna paraphrase a quote from uh, Tommy Iommi, uh, where he's basically saying, Ozzy sang with the music, whereas Dio sang around the music. Yeah, he builds a world. Whereas uh, every time I think of Ozzy now, like, Sharon, <laughs> where's my album? I can't find it. <laughs> Just. Doddering old fool and Dio. Well, I mean, it's just—I think it's also just a, a preference. Uh, I just am a huge fan of Dio, and I love the worlds that he creates. Uh, and, and this is well, this is kind he... of the turn, though, in metal, isn't it? Where it, it's becoming something new. This is where heavy metal really is locking down what it wants to be for the next generation. It's moving on from uh, slower. What, what do we call it? The slower dark metal. I know there's a different class for well, each metal. Well, like this, like Sabbath, even though it's technically just a hard rock band, uh, they had very gothic tones to it, and they kind of there was always kind of sludgy and dark, with with the exception of you know every now and then they they had rock songs, 
but like this one was like a 100% straightforward rock album. Yeah. That you know it. I mean, it it sits there with like ACDC and stuff like that, where it's like it wasn't necessarily uh, a tone setting. It was there to kick your ass and you know kick your ass to take names, like other albums around here with the new wave of British heavy metal. I'm definitely going to be talking about a couple of those uh, later on where it's, uh, yeah, the a new, new mindset where punk rock had happened and you had bands that wanted, that were too fast for rock, but too slow for punk, essentially. Right. All right. So uh, that, that's probably, I got to tell you, of all the choices on here, I think I might go with yours more than anything on my list. I truly love that album. But we it have is, to have yeah, ten. It was a hell of an album. <laughs> we gotta have ten. So here we go. Um, Adamant, Kings of the Wild Frontier, is my second selection. And while I don't believe it's the best Adamant, that one's coming up in a year or so. This one has a lot of new sounds for Adamant. Uh, his band was on the verge of breaking up, and his career was basically going nowhere. And he walked away for a while. I rethought the band, you know, the style and the look. You know, he got that 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 Prince. What do you call that? Um, that new romantic look. Uh, yeah. Mixed with pirate kind of style, and uh, he got two drummers and uh, got a new producer, Malcolm McLaren, which I believe he did. He created the Sex Pistols and Bow Wow Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I have this wrong. Wait, like, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, I have this oh, wrong. I'm telling the story wrong. I'm sorry. The band fell apart because the guy who created Sex Pistols stole Adam's band to create Bow Wow Wow. I fucked that up. Um, okay, yeah. So, uh, okay, so they, yeah, sorry, everybody. But so he got a new band, changed the sound, changed his look, and this is where he really just digs in and makes, I think, unbelievably good pop songs. And yet, none of them really hit here. They were still huge over in Australia and the UK. But Stand and Deliver is one of the greatest songs you will ever hear live. I got to see him uh, 2014 when he had his big comeback. Uh, He hadn't toured in a very long time in the US. Because uh, if I remember correctly, in the 90s he had a mental breakdown. And then he just stopped performing uh, and and when he would, he would just do an occasional show in the UK, and he just never came to America. And I was down for seeing this, and I lost the tickets twice. Lost the fucking tickets twice for Adam. <laughs> I Yikes. we were moving, and I left them in uh, one of my dressers, and my parent, my mom was leaving or whatever. And then I was getting, uh, I was staying behind for another week to go to the concert. And uh, they started taking off, and I didn't have the concert tickets on me, and I freaked out, and they had to pull over, and we had to dig through everything in the moving truck. Um, so that was that was the first time. Second time, I'm eating at Denny's, and um, I take the tickets out of my pocket because I can't get my wallet out, and I accidentally leave them on the table, and I make it about two blocks away. I run back into Denny's, and the lady didn't even look in the envelope, the, the one who cleaned the table, and she just threw them in the trash. I had to dig them out of the trash. Oh. <laughs> Yikes! Um, well, it's like this is actually the first time I've actually ever heard any of the Adam and the Ant stuff. Yeah, this is my first exposure to it, which was kind of interesting because, like, it definitely has this feeling of the early post-punk uh, new wave thing. 
because it has like you know this definite punk edge with like ants and ants invasion is very cramps like but then you also have and i think like my favorite track on the entire thing is don't be square be there and that's totally new wavy but it's like way ahead of its time yeah. It's like Devo meets Oingo Boingo. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I was wrong. Uh, Stan Deliver is not off this album. Um, this one wasn't anywhere nearly as big. Doggy Dog and Ant Music were the two singles, but Killer in the Home is a madhouse song. It, it's really disturbing and creepy, but it has such a fun beat to it. Um, that That's my I actually stand-up. didn't like that one as much. No, I really like that I one. actually kept... I, I was thinking, like, it kept feeling like Bad Bajas. <laughs> So, yeah, that's not my favorite, but it has a lot of really interesting sounds, and the fact that he switched everything from what he was doing, it, it kind of like a rebirth. And he would go through this numerous times. So after this, uh, by the late 80s, he changes, he gets rid of the ants, he changes his entire look, and then he's more, I don't know, almost um, R.E.M.-ish, I would say, more introspective and slower songs. He had a big hit with Beautiful around the 90s. And uh, then he disappeared again and came back. And now he has none of the new row, but he is full-on fucking pirate. Have you seen him at all in the last few years? No, no. I, I, there, there was a picture on Wikipedia of them circa that era. Yeah. And I'm just going like, I was just like, going, yep, that's definitely new romantic. <laughs> he's, he's put on a lot of weight and he lost his hair. So he always keeps the pirate hat on. And in order to cover the fact he's put on weight... He really puts himself in this big, tight costume with lots of layers. And he's under those lights, just baking him and baking him and baking him. And I felt so sorry for him. Oh, man. Well, it, it's what happens. We, we get older, we start ballooning out a bit. Yep. I'll say this. Unless... this. This is what sucked about the concert. It was supposed to be a, a big M, kind of like embassy kind of hall uh, in San Luis Obispo. But ticket sales sucked so much, they moved it out of the, the uh, performance hall, and they moved it to the local band uh, hangout bar thing or whatever, and it fits, I think, 200 people. Um, there was maybe 80 there. 80. And I, I was in the third row. It was depressing. <laughs> Yikes. I, that, that's just... I, I, it, it was feel like they just play, you know... I get it. People, anytime that you perform, you want to perform to as many people as possible. And if you see that, that would definitely feel uh, completely disconcerting. I think it would be an understatement to that. But uh, but you also have to talk. It's a college long- town. Everybody there was probably under 30, and, and they don't know who Adam Ant is. So. Yeah. It kind of feels like it was a bad booking, but... You know, if as long as if they if they play you know played full force. Oh yeah, they didn't phone it in at all, man. They really hammered it. I was truly enjoying it. Uh, if you read the chant, seriously, he's a lot of fun to watch. I'll give it a shot because I I liked what I heard. It definitely took took risks that I never expected. You know, it's like you have like like. Like I said, new wavy and punk esque stuff, and there's all kinds of interesting stuff in this album. You know, again, in a way, it's a little unfocused because it seems like he's kind of trying different stuff. Uh-huh. But that's that's a good thing at times. You want to have someone, wo- you know, willing to give give an album a shot. Sometimes the most boring albums are the ones that you can listen through 
top to bottom, and every song is essentially the same. Doesn't mean it's a bad album, but there's no personality. Right. This album had personality. All right, so what is your second choice? Mine is the self-titled album by Angel Witch. I have never heard of Angel Witch before you suggesting it. Now, that's understandable because, you know, okay, the new wave of British heavy metal had all sorts of bands. You're familiar with some, I'm sure, right? Right, because Judas Priest, this was on my list, and I thought about them, but I thought British Steel was too obvious, so I didn't go with that. Yeah, Priest, Motorhead, uh, Iron Maiden, Def Leppard, Saxon, and Angel Witch was up there. And the the problem that you reason why you don't really know them is because they never had a stable lineup. Oh yeah, that like, can hurt. Does that mean their their sound changes constantly? No, it's actually they're pretty consistent in sound, oh, okay. but they're not consistent in releasing any album. Oh, it's okay. like so every time the this, band falls apart, yeah, they got to rebuild again. Pretty much. It's like they released this album in 80, and then their next album came out in 85, and oh. then 86, and I think the next one's like in 90-something. Wow, that, yeah, that's a big gap. Back then, you know, you're used to albums almost every single year. Yeah, and this and this album is very much a proto-thrash metal album, because you listen to the title track, Angel Witch, and right off the bat, this thing is kicking your ass, it's fast, it's heavy, and you have all these earmarks of something that you've now heard millions of times before but at the time this was kind of new it's like kind of like listening to van halen one for the first time and you hear eruption nowadays that's kind of commonplace but that was brand new same thing with this yeah i i I, I'm going to dig further into their catalog because I, I it's something I had never experienced before. The only thing I don't like is, f- wait, you know what? Hold on. I think I listened to two albums back to back, and the other one was not. One of them had a lot of falsetto. Was it this one? It wasn't this one. Well, this has this has definitely some uh, falsetto. With you got definitely Angel, which kind of has the very high pitched things. Uh, no, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Uh, Someone there was a suggestion after I listened to this that was falsetto. I'm sorry. I apologize, but oh, I, I can't. Oh, stand. we listened to. Uh, I wonder if you were listening to some uh, Merciful Fate or something. Yeah, I don't. I do not like Man of War. I had a friend who listened to it all the time. I love the storytelling. I love the guitar playing. When it comes to singing, I'm like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> I can't stand it. But yeah, this like one of the songs in here, "Angel of Death." is 100% a Metallica song that was written three years before Metallica ever formed. Yeah. Uh, well, no, I thought Metallica I'm... formed in 81. I thought I could have no. swore Kill em All uh, was 81. I could be wrong. Well, well, think, oh, oh, no, 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 it wasn't that early. Kill em All was like 83, yeah, 83, because... Oh, okay. Yeah, because we're 84 or something like that. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out as we go through the years, I guess. <laughs> All right, so yeah, that... It's... Good. Yeah, this, but yeah, this thing is 100% like the precursor to like thrash metal. It also had, because it's kind of, again, we bring up kind of the gothy dark vibes. This one definitely kind of, there's, there's something I want to talk about when we do 81. Uh, I won't mention that one yet, but this one also kind of feels a little bit of a precursor to the black metal and death metal genres because it definitely had a much darker tone than you would normally find it a lot of things too is it true icelandic death metal <laughs> oh what the, the story, fuck was that yeah. movie what was that movie where he, they talk oh. about that the whole time lords of metal or something or 
Oh, uh, oh God, the Lords oh. of Mayhem or something like that. Yeah. Lords of Chaos, Lords of Chaos, Lords of Chaos. It's about the band Mayhem. Yeah. The um, That's a crazy-ass movie. But um, So that is your second choice. Uh, on to our third choice. Um, Wild Planet by the B-52s. Yes, it's not their most well-known or best-selling album. Uh, it may not even be their best album. I don't give a shit. I had so much fucking fun listening to this. Um, I don't. I, I believe "Private Idaho" is their best song. That riff that opens up the song is just stunning. Oh, so the guitar and bass work on "Party Out of Bounds" is phenomenal. Yeah, that, and of course, Keisha Rain's I, a lot of fun. "Giving Back My Man" is kind of a twisted version of these old country songs from the '60s. Uh, I just there's such so much fun listening to them. Well, it's like I'm listening to that "Give Back My Man," and I really feel it should have been a slower song. I mean, granted, it's their their styles of very fast poppy stuff, but that one kind of felt like it should have been a little little more restrained. Myself. That's all I really giving, notes, say about giving it. notes uh thirty <laughs> years in the future. Yeah, thirty, forty uh, years in the future, I should say. Here's the bad thing I about every podcast. Everybody I know makes notes. I have never made a note, and yet I somehow retain some of the information. <laughs> but sometimes I'm like, duh, what do I want to say about this one? I forgot. <laughs> but um yeah, well, honestly, yeah, Wild Planet has the least amount of notes for me too. <laughs> Alright, so what is your third choice? My next choice is going to be Girls School's uh, first album, Demolition. Holy shit, I had heard of this band, and somewhere along the way, I thought this was a boy band, like a, a hair metal band, like a real early like L.A. glam metal band, and um, I don't like that music usually, and I just like, I don't want to see Girls School, it's probably just an ironic name. Nope, I was wrong, I should be listening to Girls School, I should listen to it decades ago, it's fucking rad. That's that's the thing. I'd heard of this band so many things, I so much for so long because I liked Motorhead, and they've always been kind of associated with them because they kind of got their start because Lemmy heard their rich their first single, dug it, saw them live, said I want you on tour, and that entire thing got them signed to make this album, and the relationship between the two bands basically lasted until Lemmy's death in 2015. Wow, so they're still around? See, I know they're nothing about around. this they're band, st- I just know the name. Yeah, they're, uh, actually, their la- they're latest album, I don't want to say last, latest album was actually out in 2015 as well. That's and impressive. It's, it's a hell of an album. Really? Um, did they ever have any hit singles that I know of? Did they, were they ever successful? None they've always you- been like that, you know, that, that band that somehow survives decades, which is a solid fan base. They've they've always kind of been underground, unfortunately. Like they've inspired so much stuff because, you know, so many female fronted rock bands will will say, "Oh yeah, girls' school definitely." You know, kind of in a passing thing. But I think yeah. it's like the Donnas, oh, like totally. the only band who is flat out, flat out stated, one hundred percent, girls' school is the the main inspiration for us. Yeah, when I was listening to this, I kept thinking of the Donnas, the way that she enunciates things and and the backbeat. But also, one of my favorite bands that no one's ever seemed to heard of is Sahara Hot Nights. And you can see the influence on that band as well. Yeah, because that's the thing. Is like, like like the Runaways, even though the Runaways kind of were set up to be a gimmick, the the only, only thing was they actually had talented musicians that made up the gimmick. Uh, 
these girls' schools basically kind of paved the way for all these female fronted bands because they were talented musicians and they weren't, they proved that they weren't a novelty. They were solid, you know, a solid rock band. Yeah, I really enjoy that one. And, and thankfully, all these albums we found on uh, YouTube for free. So check it out. It doesn't cost you anything to check it out. You just got to sit through some shitty commercials because YouTube is greedy. Yeah. Now, I will say it's the best song in this album is actually a cover. Uh, Race with the Devil, which is such, you know, such a rocking track, is actually a cover of a 60s uh, song from a band called The Gun. Huh, I never heard that one before. Yeah, I, I thought it was an original track until I started doing a little more research into it. But, like, Take It All Away, one of their songs there is, like, a pop version of a Motorhead song. You have, like, Emergency and Deadline are 100% punk songs. Like, these, like, this album rips so much, man. <laughs> I, it, I don't, I, I wish they were bigger than they ever were. Yeah, but then their sound can change, and... That brings me well, that's, to that's kind of what happened. The uh, my my uh, fourth choice is about a very well known band for a very particular sound that decided to hire a very tempestuous producer, and it ended up really fucking crazy <laughs> and wild. And they ended up hating his guts. It was so expensive for Ramones' album, end of the century, but it's also really one of their best, and it didn't really move the needle on their popularity and sales. Well, and that's the thing is, I I swear to God, the Ramones really wanted to be just a regular pop band or a surf rock band. You can hear this in like, uh, I want to be your boyfriend or Cal or the cover of California Sun, right? Or Rock and Roll High and, School. Or, no, rock, yeah, Rock, 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 Rock and Roll High School. Come on, see well, people. There's two different schools that, of, of of punk. There's the, the, the English with the Sex Pistols style, or as I say, more professional. I think you should fucking ignore the Sex Pistols and focus on the Clash and the Jam. But in America, punk was different, and the Ramones were just doing twisted versions of classic uh, pop songs they grew up on. Yeah, it was just faster and uh, dirtier uh, pop songs, really. Yeah, it's it's a totally different sound, and people are in different schools. I just I like I I mean I adore the Ramones because they took pop radio and just uh, gave it a, a like a demented twist. Like if you put it through a um a John Waters filter, that's what you get with the Ramones. Although even with uh, when it comes to punk, I would say I, I I like this I like the Sex Pistols, but I would say even that I'd say go with the Germs or something like yeah. that. The uh, uh, I saw the Ramones in '96, and I was a, um, a fucking doofus. I didn't know anything about the Ramones except for their cover of the Spider-Man theme song, and they played so fast, no breaks, and I was annoyed by it. And I look back on it, going, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" It's well, I didn't appreciate it at I the love, time. I love the Henry Rollins story about seeing them live, where it's he just they, he's watching them, and then you know. Everyone just stand there. Okay, here's this song. Da -da 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 -da. Okay, here's this song. Da -da. Yeah, it, there's, they don't mess around. They just burn through. And I think it might be the fact that uh, the Ramones were one of those bands that saw what was going on in the 70s with rock and roll. And it was bloated, and every song was getting longer and more intricate. And the shows probably took forever because it would jam out. And the Ramones just didn't want any of that. They're like, fuck this bullshit, let's make this clean, fast, and done. Out. Yeah, it, well, it's also, 
it's I I'm not going to attack musicianship, but at the same time, I feel like they were never that good. Again, no, they wanted no, no. to be a a, a strong wanted to be a stronger band, and they never had the chops. That's one of the things about the Sex Pistols that's interesting is they were actually good musicians, and they understood why they you know you understood why they were shitty. Like uh, John Lydon when he uh, left the Pistols and became you know Johnny Rotten left the Pistols, started uh, Public Image Limited. It's a much more musician-friendly band, you know, a lot more thought and stuff. And you kind of go, yeah, you kind of have to understand, you know, understand how to play before you can understand how not to play. Yeah. Uh, some of the big songs off this one. Uh, Do you remember Rock and Roll Radio was the big single? And that one's so heavily produced. And I think that was part of the problem is they were used to going in, and I don't think they're very patient, and, and just ripping through a recording, probably recording it in a week. You know, cost them like probably ten, fifteen thousand to record, and they're in the the studio for months now. And Phil Spector's torturing them because he wants a wall of sound. That was his cliche was a wall of sound, and uh, they were tired and tired of doing the same fucking song over and over, doing thirty, forty takes, and, and, and that would take a whole week just to do that one damn song. And I think that really broke them because after this, they they just don't seem like they're the same. They're not having as much fun, and they're not as tight as they were before and they went rebuild themselves probably till about 88 i would say <coughs> excuse me something like that i'm i'm more i'm better versed in in all the older ramon stuff than anything that kind of happened after this era like i like the their pet cemetery song and that's kind of about it from anything from this point onward yeah i i stick with it through the whole way um except i i do start to i can't remember anything from the 90s i just can't um um, God, even with the greatest hits collection that I started off with, I do remember like just fading out towards the the fourth CD. <laughs> or no, no, there's only two CDs. There's just so many damn songs. It felt like four CDs. Yeah, that's that is the good and bad thing about the Ramones is their songs are short. So if you don't like a song, it's it's not going to end soon. Right. But if you like a song, it's over too soon sometimes. It's weird that Rock and Roll High School is on this album two years after the movie came out. you think it would have made it to another Maybe the movie... I don't know when the movie came out compared to the album before this, so maybe it just sat around for a while. But um, Chinese Rock is also a just absolutely fantastic song on this album. Yeah, that's... There's some... Like, I get the, uh, that opening track, the... Uh, uh, Ah, why can't I think of it? Uh, Do you remember Rock and Roll right. Radio? Is such a good pop song, and that's kind of the kind of, again. That's kind of the problem. Is this is a pop album more so than it's a punk album? Yeah, and I think I think it's like the way Kiss will come up here in a couple of years. They're changing their sound dramatically, and a lot of people kind of revolted against it. Thankfully, the Ramones just. They didn't go too far off their normal map, but you, you're right. It is more pop radio friendly, and that was the focus. That was the plan. Whereas, I don't know what the fuck Kiss was doing. It's so strange. <laughs> so that is my fourth album. Kiss was album. selling records. Yeah. That's my fourth album. What is your fourth album? My fourth album is the self-titled album by Killing Joke. This is the one that I had trouble with. I like Killing Joke, but I felt there was a lot of repetition. And I was getting bored. I don't think I actually finished this one. Uh, it's kind of a shame because, like, uh, you have complications near the end and, uh, like, primitive, which are, like, those make me want to headbang so much. <laughs> uh, 
but it's like it's such an ins- influential album on so much of uh, what came later in industrial and actually and actually even cross cross uh, spectrums because Metallica, Nirvana, and Dave Grohl in particular, like Marilyn Manson, all these people like constantly cite this album as an influence. I don't know why I was under the impression that Killing Joke was a punk band. I, I don't know why I thought that, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh. No, that's a completely different sound. Oh, no, you, you see that cover, and it's 100% a, a punk album cover, and then you kind of get some, you know, it's like, no, 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 this is not punk. Yeah, industrial is one of the few genres of rock that I barely dip my toe in, and I get the feeling that through the, the show, I'm going to be listening to some new stuff that I've never experienced. Well, I just like I told you, I listened to KMFDM for the first time ever, I think, was there a track on the Crow soundtrack? No, that was uh, My Life's the Thrill Kill Cult. Okay. I feel like somewhere along the way, KMFDM was on a soundtrack, but I didn't remember it. Oh. But then I just listened to you, it. You, yeah. Go ahead. You have. <laughs> uh, they've got, uh, during the, the biggest point of their career, around 95, uh, they had songs in in uh, Bad Boys. Mortal Kombat, I'm uh, guessing? Oh, <laughs> Mortal Kombat, yeah. Uh, actually, both Mortal Kombat's. Uh, oh heck, what was the what was the other the really horrible movie? Uh, Wing Commander. Oh god. But yeah, they they ended up on soundtracks for a while. Yeah, that the Killing Joke is one that oh. I just had so much difficulty getting into. But I'll, I'll give it another shot. I'll give it another shot. I'm not giving up yet. Yeah. Well, it's like you have uh, one of the uh, second track is War Dance, which is. Skinny Puppy before Skinny Puppy ever was, because you have this heavily distortion on Jazz Coleman's voice, and it's a, it's just like a a really dark, dancey song. Uh, one of the songs I'll say this: Tomorrow's World really puts me at unease. Like, there's just something about it, because it's not, it's not dark, it's not oppressive, but it's just something about it just makes me feel wrong. <laughs> But but yeah, this is an album that it weighs on you. It's not it's not a heavy song. It's not a it's not a heavy album. It's not a brutal album. It just it has this weight that kind of crushes you. Yeah, I noticed my my stuff's a lot more poppy, new wavy poppy. Where yours you you seem to have more layers in your music. Um, anything else you want to say about Killing Joke before we move on? Uh, this is actually the first of two uh, self-titled Killing Joke albums. Well, that's confusing. So, Paul Weezer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I would say if you're looking for this one, yes, you want to look for the one from 1980, and it looks, and it's a, like a wall and stuff like that. It's really black and white image. If you see a, a face of, a, of an evil clown, it's still a good album, but that's uh, from 2003 and oh, a totally okay. different album. Yeah. The, and it uh... has Dave Grohl on drums. Oh, no kidding. That's cool. All right, so my fifth and final album is... You know, we should do that, by the way. When you're ready to move on, uh, instead of me awkwardly like, are you good? Should I move on? You just you, you just ask me. You're like, oh, what's your next album? So, I think we can do that. Yeah, that seems like it's easier. I don't know why we're discussing this in the air. Sorry, everybody. You're getting to see behind the, <laughs> the, behind the screen. Um, so my fifth and final choice is Freedom of Choice by Devo. And I tried to stay away from stuff that was really successful, but... Devo is well, definitely on my top five all-time bands list. It's not my favorite album by uh, Devo, though. I know it's their most successful, um, but I would say maybe yeah, it's third or what? fourth. 
But that's the thing is, uh, yeah, this was a very successful album. But like, like when I was, I was telling you before we were doing this, I was mentioning doing the Sabbath album. This is the same thing where I go, name me three Debo songs. And I guarantee you one, one of them, because everyone's going to not think of anything else but Whip It. Yo, yeah, well, that's the one. That most, most people think that Debo is a one-hit wonder. And time does that to a lot of bands. But Devo had, and I, when I say one hit wonder, I'm saying you only had one song that charted in the top 40. I don't know what other people's rules are. What do you usually think a one hit wonder is? I, I basically just kind of go, it's the only song that's ever really charted. And uh, it, when, especially think of like music video wise, because I grew up with MTV, so obviously the only things that matter are music videos. Yeah. Well, and Devo is unique because. They're one of the few bands that was massive when it came to videos. All their songs charted very well on MTV and helped sell the albums. But when it comes to radio, they only had one song hit the top 20. I don't believe Whippet was ever in the top 10. But they had four or five other songs chart in the top 40 around this time. And But it, like I said, time just erases. It hit number 14, I'm looking right now. Um, but it's because it was so epic on MTV back when... MTV for MTV first started, they were desperate for any videos. And Devo had already shot a bunch for short films uh, for their concerts and just to get the name out there or whatever. So they already had a catalog of videos ready to go when, when MTV was hungry. And that really propelled them for about four or five years. And uh, they really fucking shot themselves in the foot, though, in 1984. And we'll get to that because that album is definitely going to... Or not 84. That was Shout. 80. I think it was 83. Um, uh, oh no, it's Devo is when they shot themselves in the foot with a fucking video and, and MTV wanted nothing to do with them after that. And uh, But let, let's talk about the tracks. Um, of course, Whippet's the big one, but this is their last like hard-rocking album this, before they totally went synth. And one of the things, this is like one of the most tightest and most coherently musically than the first two albums. Right. Like, and, and the first talk, two albums are... Yeah are weird but and they've got some interesting stuff but this one actually had like a coherent thought behind it it feels like right those, those all had cover songs on them they had mutated versions of them is what they call them uh a lot of experimental songs and and it just feels like uh so it's um uh are we not men we are devo is the first one and that one just kicks the fucking doors down the minute it starts when people say what's the most recognizable opening riff and, and most people say, like, Satisfaction, which is ironic since it's on the first album of Devo. Um, you know, the Stones version. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. But for me, whenever I hear... I'm like, yeah, that's the most recognizable riff ever to me. Actually, I'll even just go one better, because I think uh, Girl You Want off this one is such is such a banging opening yeah, track. Yeah, and that's been like, covered a few times, right? Didn't, didn't like Soundgarden cover Girl You Want or somebody? It's in Tank someone, Girl. I'm, I, it doesn't support... No, that's not, that was actually Devo. Devo covered their own song and made it even really? harder. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize that they had done a remake of their own stuff. Yeah, it's it's got a different vocalist in the film, but the album cut is Devo. Oh yeah, I'm looking right now. Um, yeah, it says covered by Soundgarden, Superchunk, uh, a bunch of bands I haven't heard of. <laughs> it's like, uh, like I, I will say this: I hate the song Whip It, 
not that it's like a bad song or anything, but it's just it's that song that's overplayed. The right, most. but that, that you can't Whereas, deny that drum beat. That it's pretty catchy. Oh no! It, yeah, it's like it's a good song. I just hate it. <laughs> you know what's funny is they weren't uh, allowed. Like, they weren't allowed to perform on Saturday Night Saturday Night Live a second time to promote this album because Lily Tomlin was supposed to be the guest and Devo was a music guest, and she refused because she thought Whip It was abusive to women, not understanding what the song was really about. And that, that's the thing: is the video and the song two wildly different meanings. I don't, I don't understand why yeah. they did the video that way. Because that does look like it's kind of abusive to women in S&M. But there's a confusion until the actual the lyrics. Whip It is about, you know, just getting that all-American gusto and challenging anything and defeating it. That's what Whip It's really about. Yeah, but, you know, you have videos are our perception yep, of things. Yep, and that, that undermined That's... them. Um, and, and the funny thing is you think that later they would invite him with just a different guest. But I, they were miffed and they went over to Fridays instead and performed. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame them because that's the thing. It's one, you got to get your stuff out there. And if uh, one of the biggest shows of all time is going to snub you, you know, screw them. Let's go, let's go across the street. Uh, Freedom of Choice also has a badass riff, and that's one of the, I think, their final really kick-ass rock and roll songs. Well, Gates of Steel too. Freedom of Choice, is, yeah. yeah. Oh, Gates, Gates of Steel is great. I love the electronic weirdness of Snowball, yeah. uh, but Gates of Steel has a cover by. Uh, a ministry side band called Su- uh, oh shoot why can't I think of the name of it uh, it's like crap I can't think of the name it's like something meth machine why can't I think of it uh, it's like suicidal meth machine uh, it's an amazing cover of it because if, if you've ever heard any ministry just imagine the heavy ministry stuff uh-huh. but doing a Devo song <laughs> oh, that, that sounds actually kind of cool I had you know I had a cover band uh, I had two cover albums of Devo. One was punk. No, there's three of them. One was punk, one was ska, and then there was one that was all Devo, but it was industrial metal. Like That might have been it. I don't remember, but it's like, we Are We Devo, I think is what it was called, or something like that. Or We Are Not Devo. We Are Not Devo is what it was called. Yeah. Um, but uh, the one thing that's interesting about this album is the last three songs are signs of what is to come with Devo. It's much more poppy. There's hardly any uh, guitar at all. It's almost all electronica. Mr. B's Ballroom is a dance track. Yeah, and that is such a great dance song. And it's Surgical Meth Machine. That's uh, <laughs> just want to make sure I got that right. Yeah, and Planet Earth is a really kind of low-key dance poppy song, but it, it's, it's a really great way to end it. Yeah, it's... I, I prefer New Traditionalists over this album, but I but this album is, is totally solid. Why can't I remember the damn second album? What's the second album called? Oh, I... Son of a bitch. Um, yeah. I used to have this so in my brain forever and ever, and I can't... Mm. Uh, Duty Now for the Future. That's it. That's right. That's the one with the Secret Agent Man that's cover. It. Yeah, that's my probably... Yeah, yeah. That one's fine, but you can tell the massive difference between that album and this album. And they're like, okay, now we're serious. We want to really get people into what we're trying to do instead of just being a weirdo band that kind of sells okay. Yeah, and like I said, I think it worked well for them for a while. And I will go to bat for Smooth smooth Noodle... uh, Smooth Moodle... Why can't I talk? I don't know. Smooth Noodle Maps. Probably because you uh, should be saying it. You shouldn't be saying these words. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yes, three words that should not be put oh. together, but their last album before their long hiatus. Yeah, those two. I will go back for that. With, I think it was with Ryko or something like that. A company was on the verge of bankruptcy, and they didn't bother to tell Devo, and it just fucked them so hard. But I also have to say, look, uh, Total Devo and Smooth Noodle Maps are completely different than anything you did before. Total Devo, though, is fucking garbage for the most part. And I think that damages Smooth Noodle Maps. Well, I had trouble saying it too. Smooth Noodle Maps. That is a good... That's like a a tongue warm-up before you record. Smooth Noodle Maps. (laughs) Yeah, I think that might actually turn into my uh, warm-ups before I start start a podcast now. Uh, All right, so what is your final album? Okay, my final album is The Alan Parsons Project, The Turn of a Friendly Card. Okay, I have never heard Alan Parsons no. before. Uh, like maybe a single I had heard. Um, I didn't know until just today that they did the score for Lady Hawk, and that's why it's so weird. And people are like, "It's not appropriate," and I'm like, <laughs> "No, listen to Alan Parsons. He is building a huge epic story, and sometimes it dabbles in that world." And I am so unbelievably grateful that you introduced me to Alan Parsons. I loved it. Well, it's like I there's a guy I occasionally work with uh, who is a big fan of prog rock and all kinds of stuff like that. He, I don't want to say he clued me into Pink Floyd, but he made me want to really revisit like the early Pink Floyd stuff. And he was always going on about Alan Parsons' project, and he played a track or two. And I'm like, okay, this is all right, but I'd never really had until maybe like two months ago hadn't really dipped really much into it and then once i'm going i'm like holy crap i like this stuff and i started noticing and this is like right before we start really talking about doing the show this way this particular album started popping up a lot and i'm going this is a really damn good album it's are all of his albums like basically concept albums the whole story is being told on one album is that how? Is that what? Pro, I yeah. don't even know what prog rock is. I mean, I know I know what it is. I know some of the bands of it, but I don't think I've ever listened to anything more than. Well, uh, well I thought Hawkwind was different. I didn't know it was a prog band, and I listened to one of those, and I, and I've listened to Rush, but mostly just to like you know the greatest hits. Well, yeah, prog rock is kind of kind of story oriented stuff, but this in particular is. I, I I wrote down the story or a paraphrased version of the story because this is fascinating. Okay, so Alan Parsons was this assistant audio engineer, and he did like things like uh, Abbey Road and Let It Be, as well as Pink Floyd's The Dark Side of the Moon. Uh, one day, he's he ended up meeting uh, this guy named Eric Wolfson, and uh, he's a, a singer-songwriter, and they decided to kind of work together, uh, Wolfson kind of becoming his producer. After a little while... Parsons kind of got tired of having to accommodate the views of the musicians he had to work with because he basically kind of felt like they were interfering with his production. Yeah. So he decided we should do a project where we shift the focus of the music from the musicians to the producers, kind of like how film, like in some ways films, the director is the real star of the film, like Kubrick or Hitchcock or, you know, Tarantino. Right. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. And, so he decided to go out on his own then. When, when did this start? You were talking like early 70s? 
This is like '76, I think, was like the first album. Okay. This is the fifth album of their of their uh, thing. So they've kind of gotten into a nice groove, and they've actually ended up uh, building a because it's not always the same musicians necessarily on every album, but they do kind of have their like kind of like how Zappa had his group of people, Parsons had his kind of some of his people that he would go for. Like uh like one of the vocalists uh, Lenny uh. Uh, Zakatek, who does like uh, vocals on the second song, games people uh, games people play. He's so great. He's like like the longest running vocalist for the band. You know what it feels a little bit like is a softer version of what Dio was doing. Just telling these really intricate, uh, great stories with a layered music. I would I would say this is more sophisticated when it comes to the the design of the song the production value of it than a lot of what was going on in what we power metal is basically what that sword and sorcery fantasy metal is right yeah yeah so i, yeah, I, I want to listen to some more of this yeah and it's like it it's nice as most of this record is you know like simple straightforward songs i I do kind of regret that I'm, you know, I'm listening to this off Spotify, so I've got kind of how a CD cut of this would be, where the last track is a 16-minute epic that's now split up into five parts. Oh, wow. Yeah, because Turn Up Friendly Cards is a 16-minute song, but the last five songs make up that song <laughs> on the album. Sounds like something Dream Theater would do. Oh, we got a 35-minute song, but we have all these breaks in the middle of it. So technically, it's like six songs. We just don't take up, you know, just it runs all together. And uh, Rush did Rush did it with, uh, with 2112. You had one single song as on their CDs and stuff like that as a single track. You huh. can do it. The uh, honorable mentions, anything that you thought about adding to it but just didn't make the cut? Oh, yeah, there was a few of them. Uh, let's see. There was, oh, let me go find my list of that, because there was a couple I was thinking about, like, uh, where is it? Uh, Iggy Pop Soldier was kind of kind of an interesting thing. I was kind of thinking about doing that. Dead Kennedy's Fresh Fruit for Rotten Vegetables. I was I was thinking about, and didn't, it, it felt weird to do. I kind of wanted to just pull up the Decline of Western Civilization soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Because if you're, if you're gonna do punk music, that's that's a great one. I can't believe the difference between great, the great two movies. Thing. I know there's technically three of them, but I've never seen the third one. The difference between the part two is that it's just a comedy, <laughs> but nobody in it knows that they're oh, funny. Un- <laughs> yeah, unintentional, and it's that one's brutal. I I love both films, but that second one so great, just 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 for well, actually, I said the music performances are phenomenal. Yeah, it's just some the, of the behavior. Bands they have. It's the behavior they use in, in the second one, which is so funny to me. Kiss on the fucking bed that's like rotating around with his arms on the girls. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but um, let's see two other ones. Oh, I'll see two other ones. Joy Division's final album, Closer, and Crap's uh, first album, Songs the Lord Taught Us. Wow. So your stuff's all cool. Now I'm going to tell you what my stuff was, <laughs> and it's going to be. It's I'm I'm always going to be honest with you guys. Um, the only reason I didn't pick these is because they were so successful that I don't really know if it's worth talking about. But um, <laughs> Xanadu soundtrack, <laughs> Xanadu. <laughs> 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 Fucking I, that movie makes no sense to me, but I love that sound, uh, the soundtrack, and uh, it, I love ELL. I think that's part of it. 
I just love ELO. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Uh, Pat Benatar, Crimes of Passion, but again, it was a massive hit, so I didn't know if that was necessarily needed to be talked about. And uh, uh, The Game by Queen, and that was another, just one of those massive albums. I, I just tried to, I tried to stay yeah. away from stuff that everybody's talked about. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, there's, I mean, there's stuff on my list where I was going through through stuff going, you know, yeah, Sugar Hill Gang. You know, <laughs> Buggles, The Age of Plastic, but I actually had never really listened to that album. I haven't either. Is it so it good? been just like a, I haven't actually even oh, okay. uh, jumped into it. I thought about The Jam. I, I love I, The Jam, but Sound Effects, their 1980 album, is not very good. It, it's an almost album. Now, now, one I did I did listen to in the hopes that I was going to like it was uh, Dexy's Midnight Runners searching for young soul rebels. Yeah. And it's not good. Ah, shit. Yeah, some, I, find, it's, some I, bands I, take a while to find their sound, or they never really had a sound. They just got lucky with one or two songs. Yeah, it's like, from that, I understand how they got bigger later on, but that album is really not not good. All right. So those are our choices for 1980. We're going to build a list on Spotify with one song from each album that we think, like I said, signifies the best of that. And uh, check us out on Facebook under Hit Rewind Podcast. And uh, where can we find you on the, the social media? I'm on Twitter at musician, M-Y-U-Z-I-S-H-I-O-N. If you, if you want to talk music, hit me up. I definitely, I definitely want to get... Uh, Here's some of your thoughts on things. Yeah, and, and mind you, when we go through Wikipedia and look at all the albums, there it's almost overwhelming, even back then. So if you have suggestions that help call it down for us, that'd be great. Or something that we wouldn't normally pick and that you think is worthy, like out of the normal genre. I mean, you have your taste, I have my taste, so we're automatically going to have a predilection for those. But if you know of an album that like completely missed everybody that you think is worth, tell us, because we want to discover this great gem. Or mock you for your yeah, terrible choice. Take- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely check out the list on Spotify. It's it's gonna be a it's gonna be a killer list. Alright everybody, have a good night. Right, later guys. We need a tag. Hold on a second. Hold on everybody, we need a tag. Rock on! I don't know, we'll pick we'll we'll uh, we'll think of some and then you guys choose or you send us what you think the show should end with. Um, get back in the mix. Or something we'll think of something cool. Because we always have to have an end tag. And with that, the needle drops. Ah-ha!